Good morning, church. Wonderful to see the, uh, the churches of the Gold Coast represented together in one place. We did have one more song to go, but I think because of time, and I see that it's 11.54, we cut the song. I was looking forward to sing, singing that song too. On behalf of Pastor Brett, our conference president, I'd like to give uh, apologies. He would normally be here uh, today, but he's um, enjoying a, a president retreat with all the other presidents across the AUC. Um, they're taking a time of, of prayer and uh, planning for the future of the work of God here in Australia. So um, I just pass on that um, apologies from Pastor Brett. You know, we've come uh, a really long way as a movement. We heard in the pastoral reports a little bit of that history. And as a movement, we have come very humble beginnings, but we have grown significantly from those early 1830s, 1840s, where there was this incredible disappointment that the one that they had longed for, prayed to, believed in and trusted did not come as they hoped. And here we are today in whatever it is, 2021, many years removed and we have come a significantly long way. I know Pastor Brett always likes to do a little bit of quiz with you, so I'm going to follow his tradition. Um, can you tell me how many churches there are, companies in the world? How many? 10? 20? 50? A million? How many? Well, there it is there. 165,000 and we have 111 here in South Queensland. What about... Uh, Church membership. How many members are there in the world? Seventh-day Adventist members in the world. This is on the books. I heard 20 million. It's pretty close. And we've got just over 12,500 shooting towards 13,000 here in South Queensland. I want to share this slide with you. Um, we have always been reluctant as a church, right from those early origins in the, 19, in the 1840s, to have a creedal statement of this is who we are and this is... The... We've always been resistant to that. But over time, we've developed propositions and fundamentals to explain to the world who we are. And you'll see in... Uh, particularly in 1931, there was a move from... Um, propositions to fundamentals. That was as a result of um, some of the African nations, the, the growth of Adventism in Africa and the issues that they were having with the governments at the time. They, they requested the General Conference, please issue some statements about who we are so the governments know who we are. And so we moved to 22 fundamentals then. In 1980, it moved to 27 fundamentals and we have always said as a church that we will continue to change and develop and grow as we further understand the scriptures and we will change our language in the way to communicate that to the world. 
We don't have a fixed creed that's set in stone. We, we follow the leading of God's spirit. And in 2005, we changed from 27 fundamentals to 28 fundamentals. Another one was added. And if you look at the fundamental list now, it's number 11, growing in Christ. And that was, that was introduced at that time because of the, the incredible growth in the developing nations of the church. The church was moving successfully into the growing nations, into the developing nations. And, and some of those nations, many of those nations, there were things like animism and spiritism and witch doctors and shamans and tribal gods. And so there was a statement needed to meet that as, as Seventh-day Adventists became, as they became Seventh-day Adventists in that context, they needed something to speak against their culture. So Fundamental 11 was introduced, growing in Christ. Now, I'm not going to, um, to put that fundamental up on the board today. You can read it when you go home, or you can read it now while I'm preaching. Um, and uh, I do notice that it's 12 o'clock. Maybe I just should say amen, and we go home. Um, <laughs> um, but I want to explore biblically that, that fundamental, growing in Christ today. So if you've got your Bibles, however you've got them, hard copy in, uh, on your tablets or on your phones, please open up to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. And Colossians chapter 2 verse, uh, let's go 13. And it says this in my Bible, I've got the New King James Version. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. <laughs> Praise God for that. Having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Exalted verses. I'm so encouraged by those words. And you know, if you have a look at verse 14, where it talks about the, the, the wiping out of the handwriting of requirements, which was contrary to us, nailing it to the cross. You know, ultimately, what's against us, ultimately? What is it that's against us? As mortal humans living in a fallen world. Well, there's a thing called sin that's in the world and it's in me. And it's against me. And the way that that is measured is against me. You know, I, I lived long enough. All of those ceremonial requirements that, were, that you needed to perform to purge your sin. 
And I've lived long enough in New Zealand. We spent many years living in New Zealand, loved it. Our kids were born in New Zealand. They're all Kiwis. Um, and they keep reminding me of that. But I've been on enough, you know, enough farms in New Zealand. Um, a number of my church members were sheep farmers. And we would go out and spend hours on their farms with them during docking. And, and I know that if I lived in those days where you had to take the life of a little lamb and take a knife and slit it through, I know I couldn't do that. See, it's not only sin that's against us, but it's the method of removal of sin that was against us too. All of those ceremonial requirements and at the cross, here in Colossians, it tells us at the cross, Jesus removed all of that. He paid the debt in full, complete, total. So we should be able to walk today no longer slaves to sin. We should be able today to walk as no longer slaves to custom or habit or, or, or ritual we should be able today to walk as no longer slaves to any superstitious rites or practices. Rabbits, foots and favourite little... You know, you watch the footballers and, and before they go on to, the, to play football, they have all these superstitious little practices that they do just so that, well, this is, if I do this, we'll win. If I don't do that, we end up losing. As Christians, we should be free of that. Verse 15 of Colossians 2. Having disarmed principalities, powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. How do you disarm someone? Murray, when was the last time you disarmed someone? You can't remember. Never. Never. How do you disarm someone? If someone comes at you with a knife... How do you disarm them? You take it away. If someone comes at you with a gun, how do you disarm them? Yes? You take it away, good girl. If someone comes at you with lies, you take them away. That's what Jesus has done on the cross. He's taken away all of the weapons of the enemy. The cross was the ultimate place where evil was vanquished forever. No more power, no more authority. And it says he made a what? Public spectacle. Well, certainly hanging naked on a cross where people walk by, you become a public spectacle. You know, I, I was born the year television was introduced to Australia. So I grew up watching, and I wasn't a Christian. Um, so I grew up watching all of those American blockbuster Hollywood movies that were produced in the late 50s, early 60s. Um, the Bible, the Ten Commandments, Quo Vadis, all of those movies that were just casts of thousands of people. Back in a time when Hollywood was 
probably a little more friendly to the Christian message. And I remember one of the movies, I don't know which one it is, but the Roman generals were just riding back into Rome after they had conquered another outlying territory. You know, they had conquered territory after territory after territory. And they're riding back into Rome on their magnificent stallions, all these generals with a train of captives following them. Ropes like this being dragged into Rome and all the people laughing at them. <laughs> and they, those people who were being dragged in, being made a public spectacle of, were, who do you think they would have been? They were the kings and queens of the conquered territory. They were the governors and the generals and the rulers of the conquered territory. They were being made a public spectacle of. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. When he gave up his life, innocent, pure, undefiled, when he hung there between heaven and earth, he was making a public spectacle of the enemy and of the evil. And he triumphed over them in it. And I praise God for that. I praise God for that. If you go back to chapter 1, just to reinforce this thought, Colossians chapter 1, 13. It says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's like, it's like a location change. It's like we have been moved from here, this place, this kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of the Son of His love. That's what it says has happened. It's like, it's not just a location change, it's an experiential change. It's an experience that we have where we've been changed, transformed from the kingdom of darkness into an experience of living in the kingdom of the son of his love. And who says amen? Amen. That's what God has done for us. That's what he does for us each day. That's what he offers us, that, that if you ever find yourself drifting back, he says, come back. I've set you free. And, you know, interesting, it's in verse 13 it says, he will deliver us from the power of darkness. Does that what it says? No, it says he has delivered us he has delivered you he has delivered you you don't need to stay here in any way shape or form this is where he wants you to live in the kingdom of the son of his love it's where he wants me to live it's a done deal he's completed it and I thank God for that transformation that he's working in my life. Uh, verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Satan can't claim ownership of us. He can't claim ownership of us. Because Jesus has completed all that is needed to say, they belong to me. They're mine. They're my brothers and sisters. They're my children. They belong to me. 
You have no right or authority in their lives. Deliverance from the power of darkness, of course, is only in Christ. You won't find it anywhere else. Forgiveness of sin is only in Christ. The power to live a victorious, growing, transformational life that reaches out to others and and affects others and touches others as influential in others' lives is only in Christ. You can't pretend to do that. You can't make that up. Sins forgiven. You know, and... And when you talk about that transformation, and Scott mentioned in his Sabbath school report about his dog that has some trauma of the past and is fearful when they leave. We should not be fearful. We should not have anxiety about anything. And I know that, that there are, you know, epidemic of depression and anxiety in our communities. But as Christians who live in this space... We should have an advantage. We should have something that helps us move through those moments with confidence and certainty. (laughs) Finish it for me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Say it one more time. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Let's have a look at it. Psalm 23, verse 4. Quick, let's turn to it. I want to, I want to just share something with you. Because that's only half the verse. Verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why is the question. Because it says there, you are with me. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You and who you are and what you have in your hand, Lord, comfort me. I will fear nothing because you are with me. I believe that, I trust that, and I walk every day in the influence of that. I will fear no horrible prognosis because you are with me. I will fear not the disintegration of my marriage because you are there. You are with me. I will not fear that job loss that I have just received because you are with me. Your rod, your hands, what you have in your power will sustain me all the days of my life. Whatever fear that we are called to face. The way to overcome it is to trust the one who is with us. And the important point I'd like to make at this stage is that it's his victories. As we overcome, as we, as we grow and transform, as we have influence, as as we share with others and watch others change and become more Christ-like. They're all his work in us. It's not us. It's all him, his victories, his power, his strength, his wisdom. 
working in and through us. I wasn't planning to say this. In my first year at high school, we had to do an impromptu speech of five minutes. The teacher, the English teacher, walked in and he just said, you, you and Renfrew, the three of you want you to give a five-minute impromptu speech and I'm going to give you five minutes to prepare. I tell you what, I nearly wet myself. I hated being up in front of people. I was so scared and I fluffed my way around for 30 seconds and sat down and all the kids were laughing. I said, I don't want to do that, that's stupid. What you're seeing today is the power of God, not me. He changes lives. And it's him, not us. I, um, many of you know that I'm married to an island princess. She's my genuine island princess. That's her island. That's where she was born and raised, Lord Howe. And uh, technically her dad's not the king, but, you know, he's got a bit of influence on the island and I claim her as my princess. Um, This is World Heritage listed. It's a magnificent, pristine island. um, The playground of lots of people who are rich and famous and... Um, you know, from the moment I first set foot on that island after we were married, some 30 years ago, until this day, I, I'm just astonished at the way I've been treated. Because you see the, the mountain right down the far end, that's Gower, it rises to about just short of 900 metres. To climb that, to go up that mountain on a guided tour, it's around 150 bucks these days. You know, it takes, depends on how quickly the group goes up. You know, it's about six hours um, up and back. You know how much it costs me to get up there? Zip. Nothing. Not a cent. You see that lagoon there? There are many, many boats that are glass-bottom boats and they take you out onto the lagoon over the reef and you're able to look at the fish and go snorkelling underneath and feed the fish. It's just brilliant. The most southern coral reef in the world. And I think now it's probably about 60, 70 bucks for a couple of hours out on the reef and back. You know how much we pay? How much I pay? Have a guess. How much? Nothing! Nothing! Isn't that good? I think it's fantastic. Mel's Mel's brother, brothers, have a bike hire business. And, um, you know, at any given time, there's probably about, I don't know, 800 to 1,000 people on the island. Half of them are locals, the rest are tourists. It's capped, they're not allowed to have more than 400 tourists. And so um, their bike hire business, they hire bikes to all the tourists. Uh, eight, ten bucks a day per bike, per person. If you've got a family of five and you stay for ten days, there's a few bickies. You know how much it costs me to hire a bike for four, for four weeks? How much? How much? Zilch! (laughs) You got it! (laughs) Zilch! 
Zilch. Why is a question. Why do I get that? Why do I receive that treatment? Because I'm a nobody from nowhere. I don't deserve that treatment. They'd, when I first arrived there, they didn't know me from a bar of soap. Yet they lavished all this stuff on me. You know why? Because I was connected to the princess. Because they loved the princess. And I was connected to her. So they lavished their love on me. And that's what God does to us in Jesus. You're connected to my son. I will love you. I will never stop loving you. You might not deserve it. You might have a bad background. You might have a bad past. But I will give this to you because you are connected to my son Jesus. That's the gospel of good news. He will accept all comers. And I praise God for that, that he accepted me. Hey, look, I, I've got a couple more verses and we're finished. Um, Luke, if you want to turn with me uh, to Luke, Luke chapter 10. This is a fascinating story that helps further illustrate the, the transformative victories that God gives us in our lives. Um, The disciples had been with Jesus for a long, long time. They had watched him. They had, they had saw him. They had listened to him. They tracked him everywhere he went. And they were just amazed at what he was doing, interacting with people. They'd watched the healings. They'd heard the preaching. They'd heard the teaching. They'd heard the love. They'd, they'd been recipients of the love themselves. And now he says to them, all right, I want you to go out and do it. You, off you go. You go do it now. Their first missionary trip. And they're coming back. They've been out and they're coming back. And this is what the story picks up in um, Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy. How did they come back? How did they come back? So they were high-fiving. They were jumping with happiness. They were, yeah, this was awesome. Yee-hoo! They were excited about what had happened. They came back with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, hey guys, hang on there. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I watched that happen. Behold, listen to me. I do give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. I give that to you. It's yours. That's my prerogative and I give it to you. But please be careful. Listen to me, team, he says. Listen to me. In verse 20, he says, nevertheless, that's not where I want your joy to come from. I don't want you to rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rather rejoice because what? What does it say in your Bibles? Rejoice why? No one knows. No one's reading their Bibles. It says rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. What does that mean? Well, it means God knows me. 
He's got a place for me prepared. He's got my name, my number, my, my heartbeat. He's got everything about me written down, ready, prepared for me. Rejoice rather in the relationship. Rejoice rather in the partnership, not the power. Because you can wield this power over people. Rejoice rather in that I know you and you know me. That together we are a team. That's where I want your joy to come from. From our relationship. I think that's powerful instruction that he gave his disciples. And it's good for us today. And here's, here's, the, uh, here's the verse I wanted to share with you. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them now to Romans chapter 8. If you're looking for the pinnacle of the sermon, this is it. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who is going to charge you, Gold Coast Central? Gold Coast Coast Life? Gold Coast Korean? Surface paradise. Who have I missed? And that one too. <laughs> Who's going to charge you? Who's going to say, you are guilty? You can't do this. That's Paul's point here. He says, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? If it is God who justifies, who is it he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril of the sword, will they separate us from the love of Christ? No, it's written, for your sake we were killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, verse 37, here it is. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, nor height, depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We go. Romans eight thirty seven. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That English phrase more than conquerors is one single Greek word. Hoopa Nikao. Or probably more correctly pronounced, Hoopa Nico. It 
It's, it's a compound word, two words joined together. And it's the only place in the New Testament that it appears ever. This is the only place in the New Testament. And it's translated in English more than conquerors. It can equally be to vanquish beyond, to gain a decisive victory. Hooper, Nikom. Well, let's go with Hooper Nikao. All right, let's, let's say that. Hooper Nikao. Hooper Nikao. It almost sounds like something, well, let me hear you say it. Hooper Nikao. One, two, three. Hey, you're with me. Well done. One more time. One, two, three. More than conquerors. That's you and me. More than conquerors. And, and I watch a bit of rugby union. And when the All Blacks come onto the field and they do that thing called the... What do they do? And I won't do it because I'm not a New Zealander. I need Justin here. Um, and they wiggle the tongues and the eyes go bulging. You know what that's designed for, don't you? To strike fear into the heart of the Wallabies. And it works every time. It's a, it's a war cry. Hooper, Nikao, more than conquerors. That's who Christ has given us to be. In your life today, you can walk as more than a conqueror because you have a partnership with him, because you live with him, because he knows you and he loves you. Final verse and we're going home. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and you've overcome them. That is the evil spirits. He's talking about earlier in the chapter about the evil spirits that are in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who, is a great, he who is in you, he who is in you, is greater than he that is in the world. And I guess the question today is, is he? Is he in you, Colin? I won't name any names, but is he in you? Is he in you? And are you in him? Because that's what everything hinges on. Everything is just fluff and bubble. That's the heart of everything. A living relationship with a living God. I lied, I have one more verse. Second Corinthians chapter three and the last two verses. Let me put this picture up first. I took this photograph on the train coming home from work one day after a really, really long day. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let me read it again. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is. 
We all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. We, it's like, where is he? We can't see him properly. We, we can see some of that glory. Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and freedom. It had been a long day, a really long day. And I looked up, I'd, I'd been working all the way, it's an hour and 20 minutes, whatever it is, from Brisbane, and I was almost home. You can see the, the it had been flooded um, just at Varsity, that was just before we got into Varsity. Um, and I looked up and I saw this girl and I went, oh, you're kidding me! And I looked at her neck and I went, it is, it is, it's Eleutheria! That's, she's a Christian, she's tattooed on the back of her neck, freedom, liberty, because that's what 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and it's that word, Eleutheria. And I couldn't believe it, I thought, yes, a fellow Christian, and, and I bent down to just close my computer down and go and talk to her, the train had stopped and she was gone. Oh, no, I didn't get a chance to connect with her. I don't know what you're chained to today. I don't know what you're held by, what fears you have, what anxieties you carry in your life, what circumstances there are around you at work or in your family. What has played out has played out. Can't change the past. But what I'm here to remind you today is that with Jesus Christ, there is freedom, freedom and liberty because he has called us to be Hooper, Nikao, more than conquerors in him who loved us and gave himself for us. He does not want us to live here in the kingdom of darkness. He wants us to live there with him in the kingdom of the son of his love. Thank you.